Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. Will you pray with me? Lord, I pray for all our hearts. I pray for my lips. That song that we prayed and sung, let the words of, our, of my mouth and all our mouths and the thoughts of our heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen? So I want to continue. We're moved into chapter 2 in the book Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And I just want to remind everybody of the context. 1930s, like before World War II, Hitler is, is coming into power here. He has been like banished, so to speak. They cut his radio broadcast off mid-broadcast because he was critical of the government. He is running an underground seminary, and this is when he wrote Life Together. Because, you know, you read stuff in the book, and it's easy to go, what is he talking about? I was thinking about last week. You know, he said, God hates visionary dreamers. Any holiday we celebrated recently? Martin Luther King I have a dream, right? Does God hate that? No, because his dream is similar to what the Apostle Paul said, that someday, you know, in the kingdom, God doesn't see male or female, Scythian, barbarian, Greek or free. Like, he's naming ethnic groups. He goes, we're all one in Christ. King's dream was the same as a kingdom dream. What he's talking about is pastors that come into church don't love the flock as they are. They beat the flock until they get in line with their particular plan or program. And um, he's like, God, God hates that. So keep the context in mind. And there's even a, a part that to me is humorous uh, later on in this chapter that um, is context also. So when I read this chapter, I was thinking if you and I had somebody that just believed, they're new believers, they're, they, they say, I believe in Jesus, what would you tell them to do? What would be your instructions to them? How, how, what kind of things? Would you say, well, just hang out with me, and everything I do, if you just do what I do, you'll be a believer, right? You'd be like, this is how I like to read that, that section of Scripture where the Apostle Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow, and as I don't follow, don't follow me, right? You know. But the truth is, Paul was, he was in the tradition of the rabbis, and the rabbis had disciples, they had um, Talmudines, and they would... They would do exactly what the, the rabbi would do. So the rabbi goes to the bathroom, comes out and says, I praise you, God and Father, that our body has holes. And all the little Talmudians go, I praise you, God and Father, that our body has holes. You know? But what, what would you say? Because I think this chapter, Life Together, is full of something that you would tell a new believer. Hey, put these things into your life. And for us, who maybe have been believers a long time, Bonhoeffer kicks us in the hiney a little bit to actually uh, look at our lives and say, hey, are we, are, is this part of our spiritual diet, part of our daily program? So years ago, Gretchen made a mixtape for me. Anybody know what a mixtape is? Yeah, come on, you'd get your album, and then you'd transfer songs, the ones that you liked, to a cassette, and then you'd give it to the person. And she gave me this a mixtape, and on it had this uh, song by Maranatha Music, and Chuck Smith began, I remember the days of old. I muse on the works of your hands. 
I, I stretch out my hands to thee. My soul longs for thee as in a parched land. Answer me quickly, O Lord, my spirit faints. Do not hide thy face from me, lest I become like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear thy loving kindness in the morning, for to thee I lift up my soul. And the song was about meeting God in the morning. You remember that? And, and, and Bonhoeffer says, the morning belongs to the church. Isn't it interesting? He, 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 he would say that God is about being, meeting him in the morning. And he would even say that the early church would say that the morning belongs to the church of the risen Christ because at the break of light, it remembers the morning on which sin and death lay prostrate in defeat of new life and salvation were given to mankind. Every morning... And by the way, it's morning all the time, right? The sun is always rising somewhere in the world and setting. And so every morning, the church says, Jesus, thank you that you defeated death and sin and hell. And this morning, we remember resurrection morning afresh and anew. And he would encourage us to meet with God in the morning. Now, I don't want to get legalistic. If that's not your time, that's fine. But... Many scriptures, uh, many times in the Bible, you have scriptures like Psalm 57, I will awaken at dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praise to you among the nations for your loving kindness. Your steadfast love is great to the heavens and your truth to the clouds. Like there's lots of morning scriptures and even lots of examples of People like Abraham and Moses and Joshua and Jesus. Look what Mark says. He says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. I always think, if somebody didn't need to pray, who was it? The Son of God, right? And he's getting up early in the morning, talking with the Father, you know, and how much more for us to rise and seek him. Bonhoeffer writes, for, the, for Christians, the beginning of the day should not be burdened and oppressed with besetting concerns of the day's work. At the threshold of the new day stands the Lord who made it. All darkness and distraction of dreams of night retreat before the clear light of Jesus Christ and, wakening, and his wakening word. All unrest, impurity, cares, anxieties flee before him. Therefore, at the beginning of the day, let all distractions and empty talk be silenced. Let the first thought, the first word belong to him to whom our whole lives belong. Awake, thou sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Well, I got a little bit of that former scripture over there. So... Um, so I like this, and it's beautiful, but can I say I relate more to C.S. Lewis in the morning? This is what Lewis said. The real problem of the Christian life comes where people don't usually look for it. It comes at the moment you wake up each morning. All your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists simply of shoving them all back, listening to the other voice, taking the other point of view, letting the other larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in. Can you relate to that? 
Because all the stuff, right? Bonhoeffer didn't have a cell phone right there with all the things that you could do on that thing, right? Pretty soon they'll do laundry too. Um, you know, and he's, he's like letting that stronger voice come flowing in. He goes, and so on, all day, stand back from all your natural fussing and fretting, come out of the wind. And he says, you know, we can only do this for a moment, moments at first, but from those moments, the new sort of life will be spreading through our system because now we're letting him work at the right parts of us. It's the difference between paint, which merely is laid on the surface, and dye or stain that soaks right through. So both Bonhoeffer and Lewis would say, in the morning, although it's hard, try to banish all the thoughts of the day and let the Lord be your first thought of the day. And you know what I find my life is full of? Restarts. Are you, uh, like anybody um, not eat well over the holidays? And then you come back and you're like, you know what? I'm going to start eating better again, right? Like my life is always full of restarts. And maybe you look at your life and you're like, hey, I, I need to restart my morning devotions. I know some people, they're, they're like clockwork. Uh, uh, wake up, make coffee, Grab Bible, devotional, sit in that chair, do it, last almost the same time every day, get up, move, like, like some people, and there's others of us that are always restarting the good things, right? I find in my life, if I shoot to exercise like four days a week, I might get two, but if I shoot for six or seven, I might get five, right? You know, re, so restarting is always part of the diet, I think, so let me encourage you, if you're not getting up, consider setting the alarm and, and getting up in the morning. And he says, he says, first, meet God in the morning. And then he says, pray the Psalms. Pray the Psalms. From ancient times in the church, a special significance has been attached to the praying of Psalms together. The, the practice has been lost uh, to a large extent. We must now recover the meaning of praying the Psalms. Now, he's writing to a group of seminarians that would gather for community prayer. And yet, I think these things speak to family devotions, and they speak to our personal lives. Tim Keller, uh, in 2015, I read this article, prayed through the whole book of the Psalms every month for 20 years. I wonder if he's still doing it. He's got like 27 or 8, what? Yeah, so he uh, prays the Psalms all the time. And why? Because other scriptures speak to us, but the Psalms speak for us. For 3,000 years, the Psalter has been the prayer book and the song book of God's people. It was also the prayer book and the song book of God's Son. Our Savior quoted from the Psalms more than any other biblical book, even while breathing his last breath. Yeah, you know why? Because songs and psalms, they get inside of you, don't they? They, they? they come out of your mouth, right? All you need is... Yeah, you guys, right? So when you got the psalms in you, they, they come out of you. And there's something beautiful. And, and, and yet, if you are going to be reading through the psalms, you are going to come to some psalms you're going to choke on. She'll be like, what? Look at this. God, pour out your wrath on the nations that do not acknowledge you, on the kingdoms that do not call on your name. 
for they have devoured Jacob and devastated his homeland. Now, is the kingdom of God one by earthly might and earthly power? Is it one by tanks? Do we want God to just smash all these non-heathen nations, right? No, so how do you pray that, right? And there's a lot of prayers in, in the Psalms like that. Or how about this? How long, O Lord, must I wrestle with my thoughts? Day after day I have sorrow in my heart. How do you pray that when you're happy, right? Bonhoeffer would say that all the prayers of the Psalms first belong to Jesus, and then they belong to the whole church. Can I say that some of these Psalms, if you were the, the wife or husband, do you remember when it went online and they, they took the Christians and they beheaded them and then posted that? They, I think some of these Psalms expressed real heart feelings of people in the church at that time. This, they, they could be experienced, maybe not for us in America, but for them, they, they were real, like, God, how long, how long will my enemy triumph over me? Like, there's some real feeling there. And that's what Bonhoeffer would say. He'd say, the Psalms teach us to pray as a community. The, the body of Christ is praying. And I, as an individual, recognize that my prayers is only a tiny fraction of the whole prayer of the church. So I learned to join the body of Christ in its prayer. That lifts me above my personal concerns and allows me to pray selflessly. So you rejoice if you don't even feel like you're rejoicing because at this moment, part of the church is rejoicing. And when you're praying those joyful psalms, you're, you're selflessly praying that. And when you're in... When you're, um, happy, and you're praying the sorrowful psalms, you're, you're, par- you're praying as part of the church selflessly. So you, Christ's prayers are the psalms, and the church's prayers are the psalms. So why not pray a psalm a day or pray part of a psalm a day? I, I, I just want to encourage you as, you're, as I'm talking through this to go, hey, I could add that to my spiritual diet. I, I could stick that. I could, I could do that, you know, I I could add that. And next he talks about not just um, rising in the morning, not just praying the Psalms, but he says reading of Scripture. A pastor, a priest friend of mine, actually, Father Larry Richards, uh, says this, no Bible, no breakfast, no Bible, no bed. So although I'm hungry, I don't get to eat until I've had Scripture, right? And then he's like, although I'm tired, I'm going to crack open that Bible just to get a verse in my head or in my heart before I go to bed. And many times he tweets them out, you know. So no Bible, no breakfast, no Bible, no bed. Bonhoeffer writes, we start, oh, not Bonhoeffer. Um, Why do we need scripture? It's because we've got all these voices that are speaking to us. And we need to have God's word be the thing that, that centers us. I think this describes men in particular. We start each day with our personal security, resting not on the accepting love of God and the sacrifice of Christ, but on our present feelings or our recent achievements in the Christian life. Since these arguments will not quiet the human conscience, we inevitably move either to discouragement and apathy or to self-righteousness, which falsifies the record to achieve a sense of peace. But faith that is able to warm itself at the fires of God's love instead of having to steal love and acceptance from other sources 
is actually the root of peace. He's saying, man, we wake up in the morning, we're like, how do I feel about myself? Well, I did well yesterday. I performed good. Or I'm, I'm loved, right? I think men, many times, we're all about, like, how well did I perform? And women, I, you know, these are generalizations. Many times, am, am, I, am I special? Am I, am I significant? Am I, am I loved? And, and we're going we're gonna to listen to the voices of the world that will define us if we don't have God's word recentering us on, wow, Jesus, you sing and you rejoice over me. Your voice is enough for me. So read scripture. Because the scripture is, is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. I, I remember times in my life where I was first coming to know Christ, and I didn't want anybody to know I was reading the Bible. And I would read it behind closed doors, and my heart would burn. Like it would just burn within me. The, the scriptures were living and were working changes in my heart and in, in my life. And I'm sure it doesn't always happen, but you've been there where, man, that word sticks with you, doesn't it? Like, it, it just happens. Bonhoeffer says, we must learn to know the scriptures again. The reformers and our fathers knew them. We must not grudge the time and the work that it takes. We must know the scriptures first and foremost for the sake of salvation. Like, he's like, let this truth of grace and salvation, like, get into you. It, Paul, writing to his pro- prodigy Timothy, he's like, how from infancy you've known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And he's like, you know these and you continue to percolate in them. Because my natural desire is to prove my worth, is to somehow save myself, right? Somehow. And, and, and I know that sounds funny, but we, we all are programmed that way. It's like I can be comforted because I have enough money in the bank or because I'm successful at my job or I'm a good parent or I'm good at my hobbies, you know, whatever. And, and the Lord's like, no, 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 push all that aside, be about me first, and then everything else falls into place. Uh, Bonhoeffer would say, we must once again get to know the scriptures. We must not shy away from the work and the time required for this task. How are we ever going to gain certainty and confidence in our personal deeds and church activities if we do not stand on solid biblical ground? It's not our heart that determines our course, but God's word. Now, this is in the 30s. How often do we hear innumerable arguments from life and experience to justify the most crucial decisions, yet... The evidence of Scripture is excluded, even though it would perhaps point in exactly the opposite direction. Years ago, my mom's good friend comes to her and says, I'm getting a divorce, and God wants me to. I just don't love him anymore. You know, and my mom was like pulling out her Bible. You know why God hates divorce? Because he'll never divorce you. Why do you treat your husband different than God treats you? No, we don't want to hear that, right? Because we want to base our decisions on just our feelings and not on Scripture. And it's so easy when you don't know Scripture to, to start like, giving yourself over to those feelings or even trying to make the Bible say something that it doesn't. And that's the world that we live in now. But when you know the Scriptures and when you've read them and listened to them, 
like the Holy Spirit will whisper to you truths. He'll remind you. You'll all of a sudden have the Bible coming out of your mouth. You're like, where'd that come from, right? You know, because the Bible says that the helper, the paraclete, the counselor, the one who comes alongside of you, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. He'll bring to your remembrance all that I've said. Like the Holy Spirit will remind you of the passages and of the things that you've read at different times, and you'll be moving forward, and they'll be like, oh, wait, or oh, this is the word for this person at this time, because that's the Spirit. And here's something interesting. I grew up in a family that had family devotions. Before dinner, before meals, and after every meal, we prayed. We prayed before dinner, and then after dinner, we had a family devotion. And can I say it was a struggle? I was sent to my room many times for not, not behaving during family devotions. My parents, God bless them. We tried family devotions. It was hard. And, and yet it's worth, I think, the effort. Look what Bonhoeffer says. This will kick everybody in the hiney a little bit. <clears throat> a Christian family fellowship should surely be able to read and listen to a chapter of the Old Testament and at least half a chapter of the New Testament every morning and evening. So, in the morning, a whole chapter of the Old Testament. We'll pick Psalm 119. And then, uh, in the e- and then half a chapter of the New Testament. And the same in the evening. Now, they didn't have as many distractions, right? They didn't have TVs, cell phones. They had radios, right? Cell phones. How many have ever watched a TV program, looked at your phone, and had a conversation? Don't answer this. Don't answer that, right? But it, so, and yet at the same time, look what he says. When, when the practice is first tried, of course, most people will find, it, find even this modest measure. We're like, modest? Too much, and will offer resistance. You know, whatever it takes, I think it's important to have and seek to have some time. You know, so beautiful. My, my grandmother, as she was aging, she was in her, her 80s, my, uh, someone we called Aunt Nancy, she wasn't technically an aunt, but we called her Aunt Nancy, moved in with my grandma and helped care for my grandma. And they would open up, like, got daily bread devotion every night after dinner and read it, read it together. I mean, these two sweet ladies just reading and praying together. It was, it was beautiful. So it wasn't like, oh, we do it just for the kids. No, we do it to, to have this community time in Scripture together. And there's tons of devotions. And in all these things, don't go for perfection. Go for progress, right? You're making progress. You're taking steps, you know. And, and it's important to, to see things that way. And here's a word of caution. When you are um, the leader of a devotion or a leader, or if you're like me and you have opportunities to stand up and read the word of God and speak the word of God, Bonhoeffer would say this. Of course, I will be able to express the fact that this is a, an, a God who is angry, who is giving comfort, who is admonishing by speaking not in a detached, monotone voice, but only with heartfelt involvement as one who knows that I myself am being addressed. What is he saying there? When I read scripture or even when I preach, um, I'm in this too, right? 
I'm, I'm, like God's word is speaking to me and to you. And, and he would call it a sin. He says, however, it will make all the difference between right and wrong way of reading scripture if I do not confuse myself with, but rather quite simply serve God. Otherwise, I become rhetorical, over-emotional, sentimental, coercive. That is to say, I divert the reader's attention to myself instead of the word. This is the sin of scripture reading. One person put it this way. He said, a classic preacher we see in the movies says, thus saith the Lord. But the way they deliver it, it's as if though they've taken the position of God in pronouncing their audience to be sinners. The difference between a godly reading of scripture and a sinful one is whether or not we remember that we I'm sorry, remember that the primary audience to whom we should be delivering this message is our own hearts. Yes, we're speaking to others, but we're also reading God's word to ourselves. You can tell the difference, can't you? You know, when you're reading it and you're standing, you're pointing, but it's like I'm in this and you're in this. And when you're doing devotions, it's for mom and dad as well as for the children, right? We're all in this together. So you, you seek God in the morning, you pray the Psalms, you read the scriptures, and then he says, sing, sing, have, have singing be part of your corporate and your individual worship. The prayers and the Psalms and the reading of scripture should be followed by singing together of a hymn. This being the voice of the church, praising, thanking, praying, sing to the Lord a new song. You know, when we sing, the Bible says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, right? A drunk person, they don't give a rip, right? You know, my wild Irish rose, right? You know, and they're just singing out, you know. Um, and when you're filled with the Spirit, remember they thought that the apostles were drunk when they were filled with the Spirit? I think there's a, there's a courage that comes from the Spirit and a self-forgetfulness. And he's like, speak. I like this translation because most don't translate it this way, but this is my preferred. Speak to yourself in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Like you got that little praise thing going on inside of you. Sing, chanting in your, with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks at all times to him. So, so we have like a little praise service going on. And, and my prayer when we come together for worship, for you, for me, even for us uh, musicians, is that somehow our hearts are in it, right? It's not just Barney songs. Like we're singing from our heart to the Lord. And can I say sometimes it can feel a little foolish, you know, singing alone, singing in public can feel a little foolish. Years ago, I, I saw this movie and... There's one line in here that really stuck out. So I'm going to play you the, uh, the trailer and see if you can hear a line in, in here. Touchstone Pictures and Beacon Pictures present. If you're not willing to sound stupid, you don't deserve to be in love. <laughs> I want like love. The story of two people. I have to call Oliver. He's getting married. 
who can't see what's right in front of them. <laughs> if you're not willing to sound stupid, isn't that it? You don't deserve to be in love. And there's something about loving Jesus where, where it feels foolish, right? Where, where you're home, you're singing alone. You guys watching online, you're tempted not to worship along with us. You're just like watching us worship. No, be a fool, right? Be a fool, right? Come on. I love you, Lord, and I live my voice to worship you. Oh, my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. May it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. It feels, it feels awkward, you know? Like, even if I stand up here and sing alone, I have to die to myself and go... I'm just letting it out, you know, because, but this is, this is part of being about God and letting go of this stuff, and, and, you know, David danced in his holy underwear and got made fun of, you know, and his wife is like, you suck, you know, like, and, 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 and but this is the way it is, right? This is, like, we're at times fools for Christ. Now, here's something beautiful, because I heard some harmonies out there. Bonhoeffer would not be happy with you. <laughs> there, there was a time in the church uh, where in the late 1800s, moving into the 1900s, where they thought it was more spiritual to sing in unison than to sing harmony. Isn't that crazy? I, one, one guy, he said his church had like a sermon series on why guitars are, don't belong in church, right? There was no scripture to back that one up. Um, you know, praise him on stringed instruments. You're like, what? Okay. There are some destroyers of unison singing in the fellowship that must be rigorously eliminated. There is no place in the service of worship where vanity and bad taste can intrude as the singing. Keep going. There is first the improvised second part, which one hears almost everywhere. It attempts to give the necessary background, the missing fullness to the soaring unison tone, thus kills both the words and the tone. There is the bass. He goes on and just lambastes all the different <laughs> harmonies. You know, so he's writing in a time. We laugh about it. It's not like scripture he's writing. And yet, I think his big point is, if you're a worship leader, if you're singing and you've got this great voice and you're doing it just so everybody sees what a great voice you have, you know, it's tin in the ears of God, right? Um, our hearts are, are connected with the words, and that's the point. The songs become a prayer. I just wanted to also say, Calvin, uh, one author said, I, I was surprised to learn that while listening to a lecture by Kevin something, that John Calvin opposed the use of harmony in congregational 
uh, singing. Calvin, for instance, did not think it appropriate to sing the Geneva Psalms with harmonies because it violated the unity of the body. So, you know, over-spiritualized things, right? You know, I don't wear robes. I do sometimes. I can wear robes. And we can say, oh, it's very spiritual to wear them. Or you can be like, oh, it's spiritual to wear jeans, you know. No, neither are spiritual. It's our hearts, right? It's our hearts and our attitude. Um, and lastly, he says prayer. So, um, meet God in the morning. Uh, pray the Psalms. Read the scripture. Uh, Sing from your heart unto the Lord, and it can feel awkward. And then pray. Pray prayers corporately. Pray prayers individually. You know, I was reminded last night that when we pray, Jesus is praying for us. He's not only agreeing with our prayers, but he's praying for us. That is mind-boggling, isn't it? Rebecca, Jesus prayed for you while you were praying for the church. Now, now here's a word for anybody who's... um, going to pray in public. And I think it, it applies to all different ministries. He says it will happen again and again that the person who's in charge of offering prayers for the fellowship will not feel at all in a spiritual mood to do so and will much prefer to turn the task uh, to another for the day. Such a shift is not advisable. You know, you come in and you're like, man, I feel as spiritual as like a toad. Although toads might be very spiritual. Um, But, you know, a law, and can you pray today? Oh, I don't feel like it. You know, Bonhoeffer is like, this can happen. You're like, oh, I'm scheduled to teach, but I just don't feel very spiritual, or I'm scheduled to make coffee, and I don't feel very, you know, whatever it is. And Bonhoeffer's like, no, 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 no. Don't base your ministry on your feelings. Otherwise, the prayer of the fellowship will be too easily governed by moods which have nothing to do with spiritual life. Don't you love that? You know, you know the song, um, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand, All Other Ground is Sinking Sand. He says, I dare not trust the sweetest frame. That's a frame of mind. I used to think it was a human frame. It's a frame, it's a mood. I'm not going to trust the sweetest mood, but I'm going to wholly lean on Jesus' name. He says, it's precisely when a person who is borne down by inner emptiness and weariness or a sense of personal unworthiness, worthness, feels that he would like to withdraw from his task, that he should learn what it means to have a duty to perform in the fellowship. And the brethren should support him in his weakness and his inability to pray. And he's like, you should be praying for the praying person, Right? And what does the scripture say? Be fruitful in season and out of season. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for Dietrich Bonhoeffer encouraging us. I bet myself included, we can look at our our spiritual practices, and maybe some are anemic. And maybe there's a chance for us to add something, Lord. Maybe even somebody watching online says, yep, I've just been couch potatoing it, and I'm not singing along. Help me to participate, even though it can feel awkward. Uh, Lord, whatever whatever that is, lead us on in you, because we want to know you. We want a fellowship with you. And so put it in our hearts. Breathe your life and your word into our lives that we could respond to you today. Jesus, in your name. Amen. 
thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.